Welcome to the Into the Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Into the Fire podcast brought to you by www.intothefire.org.uk. I'm Fergus Dullahan and today we're going to be interviewing UFC fighter John Hathaway as he prepares for his bout against Germany's Pascal Kraus. We'll also be talking to his strength and conditioning coach Alex Backhouse about the details that make the programme work. Welcome to Into the Fire, the first in a new series of podcasts brought to you by www.intothefire.org.uk. In each episode, I'll be joined by various experts and we'll be discussing all the issues that affect us combat athletes and our preparation for competition. In this episode, I'll be joined by Freddie Brown, one of Europe's leading nutritionists, and we'll be discussing how we should be eating when we're tapering off before an event. Then I'll be joined by John Hathaway and his coach, Alex Backhouse, as they discuss John's preparation for UFC bouts. But perhaps I should start by introducing myself. My name's Fergus Dullahan. I'm a Welsh judo international, and I was a full-time elite athlete in the sport of judo between 2006 and 2008. Um, This year, I got back into it at a high level and managed to train myself without a team, uh, without a regular coach and without um, any elite facilities to compete in the Commonwealth 2012 uh, Championships. And I took a double silver in that event. So um, I managed to prove that you can achieve these things on your own. Uh, And that was really the reason I started Into the Fire to start with. It was mostly to see if... Um, I could maintain and to document my efforts to maintain an elite level of of uh, competition in the sport of judo once I was away from a full-time elite environment. I've also done some other stuff. I have a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from Hobbin Gracie. I now train with Gracie Baja in Geneva and I have done a bit of kickboxing, karate and some other things in my time. So in this first episode of the podcast we feature UFC fighter John Hathaway and his strength and conditioning coach Alex Backhouse. They both discussed John's build-up for UFC bouts and how he goes about preparing for such a, an awesome and difficult event. But before we even get on to talking about John, um, we're lucky enough to have with us in the studio one of Europe's leading nutritionists. Uh, his name's Freddie Brown. He runs fightersnutrition.co.uk. Um, Freddie is a colleague of mine from Fighting Fit magazine, and he helped me prepare for the Commonwealth this year. He also had a number of athletes in the 2012 Olympics from a variety of sports, and today he's going to be talking to us about something which affects us all as as fighters really, which is uh, how we should be eating when we're tapering off before a competition. So welcome to the show, Freddie. Perhaps we could have you introduce yourself to everyone. Certainly. Um, my name is Freddie Brown. I'm a performance nutritionist with uh, well a variety of sports. Two days a week, I work with the uh, English Institute of Sport and Great Britain Badminton. Uh, but I also have quite a lot of experience working with combat athletes, uh, weight-making athletes, uh, as well as rugby league and athletics. Brilliant. And you've done some work with Loughborough University as well? Um, well, I work uh, as part of Loughborough College and have been up to, to Loughborough to work alongside um, UK athletics athletes uh, as part of their preparation um, a couple of times. Yeah. You involved with any teams in the games? I've been working with uh, our GB Bampton athletes, uh, the mixed doubles pair, Chris uh, Adcock and Imogen Bankier, and uh, our singles player from England, Raj Youssef. I've been working with them 
helping them um, yeah, peak for competition and uh, finalise their fueling and recovery strategies for the games. Brilliant, so really good experience. You're, you've got a background in martial arts and combat sports yourself, haven't you, as well? That's what uh, got me into sports nutrition initially. I was a biochemist uh, studying at Trinity College, Oxford, uh, as well as being a boxer. And so eventually I managed to try and marry these two com- uh, initially competing interests because it wasn't particularly good for my cognitive function, making 60 kilos and uh, getting hit in the head. But eventually I managed to, to try and make these uh, these two things combine uh, into a career. So it was yeah, quite convenient and uh, took quite a, lot, a long time to, to try and get all the pieces in place. Brilliant. And you're a wrestling coach as well? I am now, yeah. Since I stopped boxing, I gave myself a finite amount of time. I realised that I was never going to set the world on fire in boxing circles. Um, so I set myself a, a finite number of years to box. And since then, to, to try and get the same kind of enjoyment, I've had to try and find another combat sport where my risk of brain damage is, is a little bit less. So I've got into wrestling um, and, again, really enjoy the kind of like family atmosphere you get in a combat club. So I'm now sort of uh, a qualified wrestling coach and go along to the to the to the club to help some of the kids in some of the beginner sessions. Brilliant, that's great. So today we're going to talk about something that we all have to do when we're coming up to competitions, which is tapering. Could you just in case people with recreational level people listening, perhaps you could explain what tapering is just roughly before we get into it. Tapering, what you're essentially looking to do is reduce your training load. So if you were running, reduce the number of miles you were doing before competition to allow yourself to stay fresh and uh, to conserve some energy so that you're completely fueled and ready to perform 100% on your competition day. So from a nutritional perspective, you're trying to feed in less overall energy, so less calories, but enable uh, training at high intensity, short, sharp bursts. So giving the uh, athlete the right substrates to be able to do short, sharp bursts of of training and actually reduce their training load without increasing body fat, which is quite a, or increasing weight, which can be quite an issue leading into competition. That's right. So the athlete has done his like periodization program, he's peaked, he's ready to compete. He backs off in the last week to give himself rest and he uh, reduces the overall volume of his training. And so the risk is that he's going to put on weight through the reduction in calorie expenditure through through reduction in training volume. Indeed, a lot of combat athletes actually can't taper. If you haven't been disciplined enough with your weight making, then a lot of combat athletes are actually doing long um, long runs and a lot of uh, additional cardio to their to their normal training right up to the weigh-in just to make sure that they can actually make their weight. That's not ideal though, is it? That's not ideal. That's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, so that's the opposite of tapering. But uh, ideally, if you've um, planned your weight making in advance and you're on your weight, then those last few days before competition, you can reduce the training volume but just do little short, sharp bursts to maintain all those training adaptations that you've worked so hard to get. So just before we get into how we're going to do it, how should athletes come in? Because I know that some people actually, or some coaches, still encourage like you to walk around a few kilograms over your weight and then to, to drop down and then to come in heavy. My personal approach was always to sit more or less on my weight because judo weighs in the morning of a competition and we only have two hours to rehydrate, so there's no way I can, can cut like that. But what's your personal view on that kind of thing? Again, it depends completely on the individual and it com- depends completely on the demands of the sport. So myself, because uh, wrestling, the weigh-in is the day before competition, I would 
uh, acutely dehydrate. There have been some studies to show uh, in professional boxing, for example, where you also weigh the night before or the day before, that um, by acutely dehydrating, you can essentially save or preserve a greater amount of lean mass. Mm. So there was a study with uh, Derry Matthews, a professional boxer up in Liverpool, um, and when he made weight um, and uh, uh, acutely dehydrated before weighing, he preserved two kilos more lean mass throughout his weight-making program, and so um, managed to preserve better his, his, his indices of strength and power throughout training. Wow. However, if you have to weigh in every day that you compete, like boxers, or if you're weighing in just before um, competition, like uh, like judo or jiu-jitsu, um, then you don't have this leeway. You can't mess around. You need to be a lot closer to your to your fighting weight. Yeah, right. Quite interesting. But does does cutting have long term effects on your metab- metabolism? Any kind of impact on your metabolic rate will be uh, related to losing lean mass. So sometimes, if you're cutting too chronically and you're not doing it properly then you will lose lean mass. If you lose lean mass, then your, met- then your metabolic rate goes down. Right. However, in the long term, the main issues are psychological, which are still very, very important. If you weight cycle and are irresponsible with your weight, um, with your weight control, then those habits are going to persist long into, um, into your retirement, but then you're not training hard and you might have uh, some problems later, like, later in life. In terms of training, they back off. There's less sessions in terms of volume. They still do a few short high intensity sessions ordinarily unless they're they're still struggling with their weight but how do they what do they do with their food my own approach there are several different approaches different nutritionists might work in a different way with different athletes depending on what works well for the individual but my own approach would be maintain a high proportion of carbohydrates within the context of a lower calorie um, diet so reducing the amount of food you're eating, but may, making sure that you're having a high amount of carbohydrate. Um, this is for the reason that when you are exercising, you need to be performing at high intensity, and you also need to make sure that your glycogen stores are fully loaded in preparation for performing maximally when you're in competition. Right. Now, some nutritionists I've worked with, um, say with swimming, because of the propensity of a lot of the swimming athletes have massive appetites, um, they actually try and um, move their athletes away from just eating too many carbs um, as, as, they, as they taper. Um, just because by replacing some of the carbohydrate with protein, you can help an athlete feel fuller sure. for longer. Mm-hmm. However, with a combat sport athlete, I would generally um, try and work on small portion sizes, really eating uh, little, often, but trying to increase the relative proportion of carbs despite the fact that you're actually eating less calories overall. Right, and how, how far out are we talking? A week? Two weeks? Um, within, yeah, exactly. The, the, the last week before, before competition, I mean, uh, some of the studies would show a classical kind of three-day taper. So I'd be talking around about five to three days before you, you, you'd start your, your taper in terms of nutrition and, and training. Right, so what kind of food should they be eating? Well, some of the successes I've had um, of increasing your carb intake despite increasing, uh, decreasing your calorie intake um, have, have come from advising athletes to go vegetarian largely. So by going vegetarian, often you'll be cutting out kind of fattier meats, which will have a lot of calories, a lot of protein and a lot of fat. So by replacing those with leaner cuts of meat, that have been portion controlled, you're reducing the amount of protein, reducing the amount of fat, reducing the overall calorie content, 
and making room on your plate for a few extra carb calories despite the fact you're eating less overall. Yeah, that's really interesting. And how about things like, um, we talked previously when I came in for a consultation, uh, that some athletes, once their body fat percentage is quite low, they start to get things like colds and stuff mm-hmm. if they're cutting weight. How would you, with the vegetables I suppose as well, in that way you're helping your immune system stay in? Exactly. If you get more colours on your plate, then um, you're getting in a higher amount of antioxidants to help keep your um, immune system in good shape as you start coming towards competition, um, try and help your body re- repair and recover um, from, from the hard weeks of training before you compete. Um, as well as that, loading your plate with vegetables generally means that you're putting a lot of volume on the plate but with a a low amount of calories. Also, of those calories, most of those calories are coming from carbohydrate. So just loading your plate with veg can be a really good way to have a uh, high-carb, low-calorie approach to your taper. Brown of fightersnutrition.co.uk. Fed will be back in the next episode telling us all about what we should be eating during the course of a competition on the day itself. Don't forget if you want to get in touch with Freddie, he's available for individual consultations via his website. If you have any questions you'd like to put to him on here for the for future episodes of the blog, uh, you can put those to us via our Facebook page, which is uh, Facebook forward slash ITF Fight Blog. Now, have you ever wondered how professional MMA fighters go about getting ready for such a demanding event as, a, as for example, a UFC bout? I was very fortunate last year that I was working as a consultant for a, a new clothing company called Luter Clothing, and I got the opportunity to put this very question to one of their brand ambassadors, who was none other than UFC fighter John Hathaway, who is, of course, renowned for his exceptional fitness. So just as a note of thanks, we can thank Luter Clothing for the access to this one um, because John's response was very, very interesting. I hadn't realised that the standard call time for a fight is just 12 weeks, so three months. So that means that an elite level MMA fighter has to have a fairly good level of fitness when they come in and then they need to peak through certain phases uh, to prepare for the competition. So without spoiling the game too much, I'll let John explain for himself how he goes about preparing for an MMA match. This interview was done just before his match with Pascal Kraus, and that would have been a couple of years ago, or 2011 to be more accurate. So despite the fact that I'm rolling an old t- oldish tape here, I'd like to welcome John to the show and ask him how does he prepare for an MMA fight? Again, I normally start uh, 8 to 12 weeks out, two to three months, and then... Um... Again, like a basic structure, we will start formulating a game plan and start implementing that. And uh, obviously, in the last eight weeks, so the last eight to four weeks, we'll start bringing in, say, like the actual specific sparring partners that we want. Right. Rather than, uh, say, from 12 weeks out, we'll, we'll just be sparring with guys in the gym and just getting good work done in and, and just getting, you know, that, that sharpness, say, on the wrestling and the judicia and the striking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, then we'll go specifically for those sparring partners and, and get the right ones in to, to help us out. For a specific opponent? Yeah. So, um, how, when you're not competing, like, how do you maintain a base level? How much training do you do? Uh, again, I always try to get in, in the gym, like, 
normally try and get once a day, or at least like a run in, yeah, or, or just get out and about, you know, and uh, yeah. and, and do something where it would be like a, a weight session or just a grapple session or, yeah. or just just a little bit of light technique and stuff like that. So you always try and get one in. Barely fit then. Barely fit. I mean, there's a massive difference between fighting fit and just just being able to have say like a, a little bit of fitness and not too much fat on you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so cardio wise, how do you? Do you peak, start slow, build up, or do you just come in hard? Yeah, we're, we're always coming for for a peak, you know. Again, like we'll start probably with a lot longer stuff, like a lower intensity and, and longer stuff when we when we first come back in. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just just try to build up some good endurance, muscular endurance. But would you say eight weeks? Uh, so you change like every two to four weeks, yeah. depending on on how much time you have, you know. Yeah, got you. That's good. And and your strength corresponds to that, I suppose. You start yeah. with strength endurance and then. Oh, sorry, endurance phase and then move through. Yeah, and then just build up through. A lot of the time you can go hand in hand, whether it'll be like a circuit where you're doing for cardio or whether you're just going you know, to strictly cardio and, and weights or Olympic lifts on different days. Oh, know. yeah, what, what lifts do you like to use Olympic lifts? Uh, again, for me, I like hang snatches and uh, hang clings, and then uh, sometimes we do like high pulls yep. as well. That's good. Uh, do you feel they're better than. Because um, there's a lot of kind of functional stuff flying around at the moment, like. Uh, Kettlebells, TRXs, that kind of thing. Do you prefer Olympic lifts? Uh, slightly more to say, say kettlebells, but again, it depends how you're going to implement them into the to the grand scheme of of, of the program, and then on that just one specific session. You know? Yeah, that's true. It's quite a difficult thing to do because I use um. We when I was full time athlete, I used to use the Olympic system, and when I finished, I discovered kettlebells, and but I've never been quite sure how you integrate it into a. Like a periodization program, so I've never taught that. Do you, how do you do it? Again, this is, this is where it comes with, with you need a, a good strength conditioning coach and someone who can actually plan out a full phase program. You know, I, I use a couple of perfect people. Obviously, uh, Alexis Dimitrialis is my coach and he's, he's great at doing things like that. Ben McElroy is great with Olympic lifting and also integrating speed work yeah. and anything. He came from a track and field background, and my friend Alex Backhouse as well yeah. kind of came from a fighting background and uh, he generally does the more IHP kind of. Like a procedure, right. Institute of Human Performance, and that just just brings in some great programs. Right, that's good. And do you do stuff to do with balance and agility as yeah, well? Yeah, again, balance and uh, different planes of motions, like obviously rotational, obviously the push and the pulls, and, and all sorts. So. Yeah, and do you do anything for like injury prevention, kind of like um, core stuff or Pilates or anything like that? Uh, not so much Pilates, but yeah, core stuff will, will definitely be yeah. always integrated into into the training. You know, that's good. And, um, say if I do pick up a specific injury. It'd be uh, rehabilitated right yeah. from there, you know. Yeah. And what about um? I've been I've been into London Shoe Fighter Gym. It's an absolutely amazing facility, mate. Because you share it's a gym based with London Shoe Fighters in a gym, isn't it? Yeah, it's in, uh, it used to be the old Gold's Gym, but it's Hoops Gym now. That's it. It's an amazing facility, isn't it? Of the um, there's mats and cages and jiu-jitsu rooms and weights. Little boxing section as well. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a, a great facility. So you must be. So you just. Face yourself there full time, or do you shoot over states? To be honest, you know, I've been over states a couple of times, and um, I've always found, you know, like as long as we certain people say if we want someone quite specific for sparring, we'll, we'll bring them in rather than go go over somewhere, you know. Yeah. But um, we have everything we need there, and we have great coaches and, and great sparring partners. And uh, if we want something quite specific, we'll, we'll bring, just bring that in, you know. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Do you use a heart rate monitor? And if so, how do you use it? Uh, every something we use a heart rate monitor. Say, um, We've got an altitude machine hooked up to the versicline as well, and like uh, definitely if we're running on that, we'll be using a heart rate monitor, you know, or, or climbing on that. Yeah, is that for safety? Or? Uh, yeah, for safety as well. <laughs> it's, it's good to be able to track on uh, 
how your heart rate is feeling in there yeah. without being at altitude and training there. But you, you don't monitor it from the beginning of your program to the end? You wouldn't mind Not so much. I mean, like, we will do certain things, you know, just to make sure uh, I'm keeping a good, like, high heart rate in, in the range where people want me to be at. And yeah. Stuff, but I'm, I'm there now. Okay. So do you think that um, the target heart rates aren't that important for you? In your uh, I do. Again, like, if we're, we're hitting circuits and stuff like that, It'll be, we'd be wearing them for to, to keep in a tight heart range, so it won't be in that range. So therefore, okay. we have on to make sure I'm, I'm staying there. You know, again, I have heart rate monitors are a great piece of equipment. You know, yeah. And they, they can be used very well, very effective. But you know, a lot of the time, we just work crazy hard anyway. It's funny because I, I was talking to Voice Gracie, and he said that he doesn't lift weights to get strong. He uses it as part of almost his cardio training. Yeah. So he be. just he's always got his um heart rate target while he's weight training, so that takes precedence over the strength training, I mm. think, for him. But other people go the other way and there's no heart rate monitoring, they're just getting big or just getting... Slightly different things if, if they're just focusing just for, for, say, size or an yeah. explosive gain. Say for explosive, you need lots of rest in between. Yeah. So you had to recuperate and get get back in the ATP levels and, and be able to get firing again. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. How are you finding the loose stuff? No, I think the loose stuff's great. You know, as soon as I put it on, I realise like how the shorts just have to sit on the hips and they don't ride up, which is great. And uh, again, with the tops, the fact that they are, they're seamless as well, which makes it so less irritating and the fabric's light. Oh, they seem yeah. to work very well as well. I've yeah. never found, of, say, uh, skull and daggers and just ridiculous amount of, say, like graffiti works. I mean, you know, I'd never want to go out and do, do any kind of types of graffiti. I can see where, where sometimes they look good and how they're holding stuff, but um, you know, something quite plain just is always nice. Who are your favourite fighters at the moment, apart from yourself? Um, I would say Mick Dears and uh, obviously like when I was growing up as well, BJ Penn and uh, you know, it's going to be great to see them compete against each other as well. Yeah. Come uh, 28th of October, I think it is. Yeah. You know, um, it's a shame about the whole Dears-GSP thing, but again, I think now they've got two great fights in that card with, with Condit versus GSP as well and uh, Dears versus Penn now. So I'm obviously really looking forward to that. It's the weekend before my one. So. How do you feel the weekend before you fight? Can you relax and watch something else or do you end up like The best thing is to actually have something to really? watch and something to relax. You spend probably about 12 to 8 weeks just focusing on, uh, right. on this kind of competition. Yeah. So it's, it's quite nice to, you know, not, not completely not focus on it, but to have something to distract from, like, say, the evening. Doesn't it get you fired up too much? You can't like, sleep that night? Or? Um, maybe a little bit. They're going to be good fights, so I'll probably be quite fired up after that. How do you, do, how do you deal with them um, getting sleep the night before a fight? Uh, I normally sleep right, you know, normally uh, you cut weight and stuff like that, it's, you'll wake up early, it's a yeah. standard kind of thing, but you normally get to sleep all right. Yeah, okay, that's good. So, um, have you got any psychological tricks you could give to people who are just starting out in terms of dealing with nerves and fear and stuff? Um, again, just not to try to worry about it, like it's all going to unfold out the way you've, where you've been training. I mean, obviously, hopefully it's going to unfold out the way you've been training. So. Uh, you know, just try not to worry about it. Just try to keep all your energy and focus for, for the competition, for the fight, rather than uh, losing it in, in meaningless things before. You're listening to the Into the Fire podcast with me, Fergus Dullahan, brought to you by www.intothefire.org.uk. Coming up next on the show, we have Alex Backhouse, John Hathaway's strength and conditioning coach, and he'll be discussing some more of the finer points of John's program. I'd like to give one final shout-out of thanks to Luta Clothing, which is luta.co.uk, for their assistance in getting us the interview.
If you enjoyed that interview with John Hathaway, um, you may like to go over to the Into the Fire blog and check out the Burning Issue, which is an online magazine article that supports the blog. Uh, in it, you have some more images and text related to the John Hathaway interview we just did. Uh, that's already had over 2,000 hits, um, and this is before I've even finished editing the blog. I'm still recording it now, but that's already been uh, more popular than expected, so feel free to head over and have a look at that. Um, that took quite a lot of work for me to put together, and at the moment I'm doing this unpaid, so I'm planning to do some more in the future, but I you know, really appreciate your guys' feedback on whether you think uh, that's worth me carrying on with, because each magazine article takes around six hours to produce, um, so clearly I don't want to do that if no one's enjoying them. Uh, my hope is to put together kind of a, a database of online... Um, articles that you'll all be able to access for free and eventually they'll amount to a, a neat little collection so you can get that at www.intothefire.org.uk and click on the burning issue tab you can comment just underneath it on the website or alternatively you can contact me via the contact us page of the same website um, all your thoughts and comments would be much appreciated now, since my interview with John was m more of a conversation that I happened to record rather than uh, something I specifically planned for this podcast, I wanted to get in touch with his strength and conditioning coach, Alex Backhouse, to discuss some of the finer points and some of the things that we, we missed out in our, in our conversation. Um, Alex is based in Brighton on the south coast of England, and this is what he had to say. Welcome to the uh, Into the Fire podcast, Alex. Thanks for taking the time to, to join us today. Um, we're gonna, we've heard uh, from John Hathaway about his training program, um, and we're going to get into a little bit more of the details behind that, but perhaps you could give us a little bit of your background first and tell us how you met John. Um, I met John when he was 17. Um, I've been doing MMA maybe six or nine months, and one day this guy showed up and tied me in all sorts of knots and tapped me out. Uh, and that was John Hathaway. And then a couple of weeks later, I was doing some more time with him, and he decked me with a Superman punch, and my head was ringing. And we've been good friends ever since, really. It's a very friendly way to uh, to meet someone. Moving on to John himself, he says he tends to build up to a fight over 12 weeks. Um, he starts light, and he gets more intensive. Um, for people who perhaps new to the sport, could you explain what the rationale is behind starting light and getting more intensive? Why don't people just jump straight into a program? Um, well, yeah, any athlete's got a peak, so you can't walk around for 100% all the time. So you start off at 85%, and then you build it up week by week. The good thing about MMA is that you know this day, this time, you're going to be fighting for your life, and that's it, so you have to be the best day. So you've got that one, one event that you're training for, so we build up gradually so that we're ready for a peak. But if uh, a UFC match is three times five minutes, why, if, if being specific is important, why isn't everything geared around a three times five minute round match? So why do you do, I don't know, 40 minute runs? And then why do you sometimes do stuff under 60 seconds? What's the, what's the rationale behind that? All the different components of fitness that you can see in a fight, sort of speed, strength, agility, balance, power, they all, they all respond differently. In that way, in the different components of fitness, they all respond to a different training uh, system. But uh, the sparring and the pads and closer to the end, um, more of the muscular endurance stuff, that is definitely based around five minutes. When he starts his build-up, 
uh, how long are his cardio sessions? What does he do for his endurance training? And uh, how many times a week does he do it? Well, like I said, you've got the sparring and rolling um, and pamper. That's all working the cardio system anyway. So recovery runs, so let's a light run, working the cardio system. Um, it's also something just clearing out the waste products for all the hard training it's doing. So it won't be like a fast 5K. It will be a steady 40 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how hard it's been training. They're uh, throwing a lot of blood and guts uh, endurance after sparring. Yeah. So... Do you know what the best climber is? Yeah, you know what the best yeah, yeah, I know what the best climber is. That sounds really nasty. So you do your sparring, and then you do the best climber. Yeah. Oh. Or, yeah, or touch jumps on a crash mat. So, yeah, when you thought you'd given everything you had, they'll get more out of you. Yeah. And then, obviously, that has a massive effect on your cardio system, too. When you're mentally exhausted, they take you past that point of exhaustion. Wow, that's insane. That's that's very difficult. So do they just go? You just go till you drop at that stage. For example, the tuck jumps on the crash mat. You just you just go till you finish, or is there a time limit? They'll give you a number, about hundred, and if, if you're not high enough, they'll fail. Then you have to go again, or they'll add ten more to the total. You learn know, doing sports science that the body doesn't do this, and the body shuts down at this point, or the fossil creatine system's not working. And as soon as you're at that point, they'll take you another twenty percent further, and so you really know where the limit is. And with any coach, you can you can see it um, from in the just a set bench press. You know how many reps more there are in the tank. You know how many more touch there are. You know you can see it. And then when they're totally exhausted, that's when it's done. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen every day. So I mean, that's like that's a once a week occurrence. You know, you get a beasting, and that could be the day before your rest day. So right, yeah, because I think it's important as well to not break yourself mentally too often as well. I mean, surely fighters need to maintain confidence, don't they, as well? Yeah, a good coach knows. If they're 10 more, he asks for 10 more. He doesn't ask for 50 more. And some, some players need that uh, just to prove how out of shape they are compared to how they should be. But it's a fine line, but they, they do it well. So how is how much of John's strength training is integrated with his cardio, you know, the circuits or functional stuff? Well, to get strong, you have to do strength training, low reps and lots of rest. The big strength period in the, the pre-fight plan. So you start with pure strength and then build into more explosive strength and power um, and then the last four weeks is uh, the muscular endurance and the Olympic myths because they're, they're fast and they're explosive like the pinnacle strength like their strength at high speed so yeah they'll be in the last four weeks definitely so what tell me about the uh, Institute of Human Performance Programs um, what are these and how do they fit into the plan yeah so Casey Santana yeah, lives out in Florida and there's a lot of work with American top team guys like Tiago Alves he works on functional movement, or what we call functional movement, so the planes movement, so the push and the pull, there's a level change and a rotation. And so with John, like in the, the start of the program, we do a push day, and a pull day, and a level change day. And then in between each uh, strength move, there'll be sort of, yeah, the rotation stuff, there's a balance work and functional equivalent. So we do, for example, say, a canoe push, we do dips, uh, and we'll wait about 30 seconds and do an explosive equivalent which would be like a downward medicine or slant. So we work in the same angle and the same movement. It's a dip, but we're doing it explosively, building out the power. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, and this stuff, where does this fit into the programme? This is towards the end. So it... the, first, the first four weeks is, is strength, and then uh, the middle four weeks, yeah, work on the power, and the last four weeks is the power endurance, and then the fitness is done to maintain strength. Right, OK. And this is more the, the last... Is, is a... Institute of Human Performance programs more the end, or is it just you can incorporate them anywhere? 
The RSP stuff, yeah, is a philosophy all the way along. Virtual period, I'd say, builds up against your peak. It's all about peaking. Can talk through some of the workouts. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good, yeah. So we've got weighted dips, just for three, five reps. So, come through that work with 20 kilo plate, perfect form, five reps. And then we've got a barbell hot dog lunge. Yeah. So it's working with a type of diagonal step across yourself. But it's not heavy. And then we move on to a rope pull, which is getting not heavy, just body weight. Within that sort of three minutes, the whole body getting worked out. The main emphasis is on the strength of the dips, but the functional work is getting done and the other planes of movement. So we do three or five rounds of that. Move on to a one arm dumbbell shoulder press. So we go heavy on this. So we've got a vertical push. Done those five reps each arm. Then we work on skiers, which is a rotation move from, from push to rotation. Then we've got uh, alternate bars that goes standing on one leg. So it's just, it's just there for a bit of balance. And we're working with pull muscles alongside the push. So we are actually working in antagonist. And the last bit of the push day would be um, dumbbell bench press, stand up, doing one leg deadlifts, and then we're finishing um, a static core exercise. Four movements of the band from 10 to 2. It trains you to keep um, your core as tight as possible whilst breathing, because you're actually using the muscles that you normally need to breathe. Do you seem to have overload, and then, you, um, and, th- and then you have to focus through that, you know, Fatigue to concentrate on things like your balance, your core, and and your antagonistic muscle sets. Exactly. Yeah, we're going heavy, and then we're going balance, and then we're going rotation, and then we're going back heavy again. So yeah, uh, whilst the chest or the triceps or shoulders are recovering, other stuff is going on, but we're still getting that uh, recovery enough to the recovery to the strength component as well. Yep. Plus that works your cardio a bit as well while you're going as well. I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got that low level cardio going in background. So, going, moving on to technique, how how much time does John have to to deal with upcoming opponents? Like, how much time does a fighter have to, to learn and include new technique in the 12 weeks building up to a fight? Or is there any time? Maybe there isn't. Oh, no, no, yeah, there's definitely time. I mean, if you look at the way the game's going now, the game plans and things like Greg Jackson, picking up their opponents apart, like, like GSP and Crosscheck. So, John and his different coaches will be studying different things. I mean, Alexis, Alexis is a great coach and just picks his apart in every way. He's got a striking coach, a multi coach, a boxing coach, and a grappling and wrestling community coach. So, we work working specific things. Right. And, um, and then uh, sparring, how, how much would John do a week? Two, two or three sessions. Um, obviously, one of them is hard enough, and yeah, the other one's more technical. Uh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't take a beating all the time. No. How does John like to do it? Does he integrate the full range, like the wrestling, the jiu-jitsu and the striking in his MMA sessions, or does he split it up into like a kickboxing session, a jiu-jitsu session? How does he put them together? Uh, yeah, well, it's just like that. There's boxing, there's jiu-jitsu, there's wrestling, and then there's full MMA. Thanks very much to Alex Backhouse. Alex is available in the Brighton area for anyone who wants personal training. He can be contacted through his website, which is alexbackhouse.com. Sadly, that's all we have time for in this month's show, um, but we're hoping to release next month's podcast a little early, uh, which will be before, slightly before the 14th of October, which is when our special guest of the month here on Gracie will be returning to competition for the first time in many years to fight uh, Andre Galval who is a two-time world jiu-jitsu champion and a four-time Pan-American Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion. Also featuring the programme will be Olympic silver medalist Gemma Gibbons on her story. And finally, Freddie Brown will be back again to tell us what we should be eating on the day of a competition itself. Then in addition to this, if you head on over to the blog itself on 
www.intothefire.org.uk you can see my uh, forthcoming posts which are going to be on a book review and the new book called Coffee with Raddy with the 2004 Olympian Raddy Ferguson. I'm going to do an interview with Seymour Yang who's one of the UK's leading bloggers and uh, designers for martial arts clothing and equipment. He founded Meerkatsu.com. He's going to be telling us what we need to look for when we're buying a gi. And then also I'll be doing a post on judo in schools. I've just taught perhaps uh, somewhere between a thousand to two thousand kids. I haven't added it up yet. Their first ever judo lessons uh, in the wake of the, the London 2012 Olympic Games. And I'm going to be talking to a local judo club instructor to find out um, how that has affected her numbers and if it's affected her numbers at all. So that's it. I'd like to give a final thanks to Bill Brooks of Skanky Pank Records for helping us to produce our music, which you're about to hear. And just to remind you all that you can follow us and keep up to date uh, on Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash ITF Fight Blog. And you can follow us on Twitter, which is at ITF Fight Blog. Thanks very much for listening and talk to you next time.